Hey there, Pure Report listeners. Rob Ludeman here. I want to welcome you to what I think will be two really fun episodes, a part one and a part two of a new series that we're kicking off called the Executive Get to Know You series. We'll be running a monthly podcast episode with one of Pure's executives, uh, starting with this one that is featuring Kaz, our founder and CTO. Every episode will come with an accompanying blog post that you can also check out for more details. And we'll be talking to Pure Execs, getting to know about their stories relative to Pure, digging into things about them and their personal life, and just giving you an inside look at some of the people that make Pure tick on a daily basis. So hope you really enjoy this first one with Cause, a two-parter, because we ran a little bit long. Uh, Also, uh, before we get started with that, if you are listening to this before early November, just know that we will be out in force at Microsoft Ignite. Microsoft's big annual conference will be doing that in Orlando, November 4th through 8th, booth presence, mini theater presentations at the booth and all of our Microsoft experts there. For more, go to purestorage.com, click on events and navigate to the Microsoft Ignite landing page for more information. And now here is cause for the first time on the Pure Report. Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. And it is time to bring the orange today with Cause John Colgrove, CTO and founder of Pure. Welcome to the program. Thanks for uh, doing this. It's uh, going to be interesting. It is going to be interesting. We're going to have a fun chat here in our little uh, soundproof booth. Yeah? yeah I, I actually kind of like the uh, booth here. It's um, a definitely a different kind of conference room to be in. And as you probably have seen from some of the designs, I definitely don't like sitting in standard rooms a lot. They're very boring. <laughs> well, let's try to make this one exciting for our uh, for our episode here. We are kicking off the Get to Know You Executive Series, and I uh, couldn't think of a better person to start with than uh, with you. Uh, we had the 10-year celebration party last week, and we just came off of Accelerate. And I watched you walk around Accelerate, and one of the things that occurred to me was seeing all the people, seeing all the booths, all the partners, everybody there. What were you thinking walking around? Was there sort of a thought of, you know, what does this become? Or is just kind of old hat? Is that just normal for you? Um, Well, this time there wasn't any of this thought of uh, what it's become. I mean, I did walk around and look and think, wow, this is the best one we've ever done. It was a very Um, good one, yes. uh, And and such. But, um, you know, the real moment for that, came a few years ago. So uh, we did the uh, event at the pier next to uh, Oracle Park, uh, where the Giants play. And I remember vividly going up on Sunday to do rehearsal and walking in. And, you know, it kind of the previous years we had done like something fairly small. And I walk in and there's this giant hallway and it goes on, you know, forever. And there's like vendors on the side who yeah. aren't pure who yeah. are exhibiting. And you know, Panos had done an arcade and, and we did a few other things, but it was just this big space. And it was just like, it, it was a very strange feeling. You know, it was very, um, you know, awe inspiring in a way to like. And so that was the first accelerate show that um, uh, kind of provided that feeling, just, just the size and scope of it. Uh, by comparison. And so since then, it's kind of been, 
you know, we did the uh, old building in San Francisco that was about to be torn down, and then the Bill Graham, and and and, and now Austin, and but that was the one that uh, was sort of where that That's moment happened. That's the one happened. that stood out, where you had that that, that, that moment of. My God, what have my God, my God, what have we, what have we, what what have we become? Right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. it. That, but which so is, a, which then. is a good thing. And did you ever have that inkling ten years ago? You know that it would become something like this, with as many people, with the the revenue growth, with the exposure, the uh, the influence on on the market. Was, was um, that ever something you thought? I mean, I guess you do at some point as a founder. Well, not like, really. This is what I, I mean, to birth or no? No, I, I don't think you do. Exactly. I mean, it's like you know, you're a kid, and at some point, for example. You dream of like, oh, I'm going to be some big sports star, right? Or, or an astronaut like, or something. Or, or right? an astronaut. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but, yeah. but let's stick with the sports star for a sure. minute. Right? I mean, sure. like every kid that's out there playing baseball dreams are going to like hit a home run to win the World Series, right? Every kid that's out there playing soccer thinks I'm going to score the goal that wins the World Cup, right? And they all dream about it. But, you know, it never really happens, <laughs> right? I mean, how few people actually get to the, do the that. The statistics are infinitesimal, are really small. Yeah, yes. and, and so, uh, you know, in that sense, I mean, there's a little bit, you know, there's also this a daunting aspect to something that's too big, right? So you start a company and you're thinking, um, like, okay, well, I want to get to be this big, giant company and usually successful. And if you think too hard about that, it's like, Oh, I'm standing at the base of Mount Everest looking up at it. Mm -hmm. If you think too much about the whole climb, you're never going to make it. It's too daunting. And you just start, okay, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. You like, you look up the hill. I'm going to go there next. Right? And then you look up a little further. I'm going to go there next. And so, yeah, you start a company and you think about being successful and you think about, you know, all the things that, that go with that and and but the journey's never the same as what you think and and you know you sort of can't quite dream of exactly what it's going to be like and stuff so you do think ahead it's never quite like you think it was going to be mm -hmm. um it's an exciting journey and and, and things but uh, i don't think you can rationally dream of what it's really going to be like yeah Looking back after 10 years, and there's a lot of things you can measure. You just mentioned the milestones, right? What what would you say those one or two things that you're most proud of about Pure are? And again, you can measure financial things or people things or culture well, I'm things. Glad you used, what are those things that stand out? Yeah, I'm glad you used the word proud because, um, you know, for the book that we wrote, uh, I know Paul had asked me what's like a moment of unadulterated triumph. Right. And and I I couldn't think of one for him. Right. Because what I think about are all the um, things that we overcome. I, I, I think it's maybe one of the more defining characteristics about pure. So I think about things like potential product disasters that we've averted <laughs> and our and, and, and our responses to them and things. Um, you know, I think. Uh, you know, like I think of the first video that Kicks had to shoot, the, uh, you know, the one on YouTube, you know, you want Flash. Right. Um, I think of the one we did with the M. I mean, I think uh, switching to producing our own hardware was a major, major milestone. And um, we did a great video uh, when we launched the M, uh, an internal video um, uh, describing the product that... Uh, 
I, you know, I just love and, you know, so that was a major milestone. I mean, obviously from a, for a company, um, you know, doing an IPO, it was an exciting thing and everything. It's another funding round is another way to look at it. Right. Uh, but there's definitely a sort of a milestone of before and after because you do some things differently, like your quarterly earnings right, reports. Right. Well, that's things. a big stage on Mount Everest, too, um, right? You know, to your analogy but previously. To me, the yeah. ones that stand out the most are are things like uh, when the Flash Array team, uh, we had um, a number of problems at Conoco and at Firehost. And the uh, head of ops for Firehost came and talked to us and really gave us a very different perspective on quality. Hmm. And you know, we started really carefully tracking our array days between events and you know, it was like a thousand or less than a thousand by a little bit when we started and you know, now it's up around uh, twelve thousand and that's a massive increase in quality because the other thing too is um, when you start looking at uh, the things that are caused by customers, right? We've gone from 90% or 95% of the problems that customers have are caused by our product to they're much more now caused by the customers. People-oriented right? things, right? When you talk about, so I'm curious if I can spin it from a cultural standpoint, and I think there's a spirit to pull together relative to some of these customer support issues. Where does that come from culturally? Is that something that you just instilled from from the start of the company? Is it more broadly attributable to leadership, or is it something that just sort of grassroots happens because we're all Puritans doing this? Um, well, I think it's probably a bit of a combination. I mean, mm -hmm. we've uh, from the beginning, you know, storage is a conservative business. You cannot ever lose someone's data. If you do, it's a disaster, right? So sort of on the severity of problem scale, an outage is way, way worse, obviously, than a things are running a little slow or, you know, there's some command doesn't work, right? It's like, yeah. oh, I tried to make a snapshot and it didn't work. Well, probably that's not some super urgent thing. Yes, you got to get it fixed and all that. And yes, it's a high severity thing, but, you know, didn't really, you know, and until the customer needs that snapshot, it's not really super impact. You think about now the data is unavailable. Um, you know that's, you know, sort of a next tier. But now we lost the data. Yeah. Oh, I got to get it back from backup. It might take days or weeks. Maybe I don't even have it. I mean, that's a disaster. That's that is. Yeah. Ten times, a hundred times worse. And and so. You know, when you're a new storage company, you have to really focus on this stuff in order to succeed because you'll never be significant in the industry if you don't build a reputation. And and that reputation, you know, the big companies, even when they're awful in quality, still somehow have a halo reputation that, uh, that, that, that covers them a bit. Uh, the smaller companies, you have to be way, way better than them. And so... From the beginning, we started out with that focus on quality, that focus on availability, that focus on customer service. And then, you know, the other part of it is a key value of the company that we wanted to do from the beginning. In order to be around for the long term, you have to deliver great value to your customers. You have to build a good mm -hmm. relationship with them. You can't, 
um, you know, take them for every dime and move right. on to the next one. Yes. And so, um, you know, that, that sort of customer service focus, customer support focus has always been there. And then I think leadership augments it by continuing to value it and emphasize it. And I think, you know, a lot of engineers, uh, you know, account executives. I mean, the, you know, the A's and S's are right there with the customer, and they really want to do good by the customers. Um, so I think from a lot of grassroots places, you get this reinforcement of it. Um, you know, it's a great value to have for the company, and uh, I think it's a great value for our customers and our partners. Yeah, yeah, definitely for partners, and of course for customers. But having that credibility being um, really, really critical. Um, can you take us back and, and, you know, many folks have kind of heard the story, but others haven't, right? And so for listeners that are out there, what was kind of the initial spark or the aha moment that, that sort of led to Pure, right? This whole notion of using, right, Flash as, as a media versus disk. And, and I know it goes beyond that, but, but I think that's always a, an interesting aspect of the story. Yeah, well, so it's more of an, an, an initial two decades of aha, uh, as it were, <laughs> rather than than, than, than moment. Um, so, you know, you go back to, to really the beginning of the, the, the problem that enabled us to f- start the company. Um, when I moved to California, um, right, so I was working at Bell Labs in New Jersey, and I had a friend that I had worked with there who was trying to convince me to come out here and work uh, at Amdell. And we were a big Amdell customer mm-hmm. um, uh, at, at Bell Labs. And um, so I flew out uh, to interview and I did what anybody does. I got off the plane, went to my hotel, called my friend, said, okay, let's go have dinner. And then he took me over to uh, the buildings uh, the, where engineering was and wandered me around. And we chatted with a few people, and I worked with him till about three in the morning. My interview didn't start till like eight, so I had plenty of so time to go rolling, back to my hotel room. That, yeah, and get and, what, and, three and, hours and, of sleep or something like that. Uh, yeah, a little yeah. bit less than that. <laughs> um, and, and I was working with him, and the problem I was working with him on was really simple. Amdell had introduced uh, new disk drives with their latest generation of mainframe. They were like IBM 3380E, which was double density compatible drives, and People were therefore often buying half as many drives with their mainframe to get the same storage, and they were getting lower performance. Mm-hmm. Because although each drive was 15% faster than the previous generation, you have half the number of drives, and you don't have enough disk heads to do the random IOPS yep. that people wanted. And, you know, so it's like that's the exact problem that, you know, kept going. And then, you know, at Veritas, um, you know, we used to see that all the time as well, the the increasing size and I, I vividly remember you know in, at Veritas for example in uh, uh, 89 we bought these gigantic disk drives for our test machines I mean they were like huge unbelievably big 440 megabytes I was going to say big for that time yes yeah <laughs> they cost by the way 2400 bucks a piece yeah uh, which for a startup was you know plenty of money to waste on chunk. one whole disk yep. drive right um, and uh, you know, you watch over the years with, with, with these customers as the uh, disk drives get, uh, um, you know, bigger and bigger, and they're just not getting any faster. Yeah. You know, you went from 3,600 RPM to 7,200 RPM, and then around 2,000, 
They came out with the, I think it was probably 2001, the 15,000 RPM yep. drives. But, you know, that's as fast as it could get. Physics, and, physics wins in the end, right? Um, <laughs> well, physics and aerodynamics right? in, the, yeah. in this case. Yep. Yeah, you just, uh, you know, because the disc head does fly over the surface, and so aerodynamics plays a big part as well. And so, you know, it's been a problem that I've literally watched from 1987 until... 2009 when you know we started the company and so it was really an opportunity for change now we've changed a lot of things about the industry um, with the simplicity and evergreen that are in essence I would say larger changes than the all flash but the all flash enables it yeah and the all flash is a catalyst and so um, you know when I started working with Mike Spicer at Sutter Hill and you know, he was very much into this notion of, okay, you want to look for a big idea so you can build a big, successful company. And um, so he's, you know, asking me what's something that's going to really change the data center. And just seeing this problem get worse and worse and worse every generation of disks, like it reached a breaking point. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's kind of the, 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 you know, basic thing that forces you to switch to flash. But I said it wasn't an aha moment. It was, it was just 22 it, years of watching the problem get worse and, and evolution, worse. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the point where the technology wasn't ever right. going to get any better. Yes. Because all you were doing was introducing new drives and waiting faster. Yes, it's kind right? of like driving a car that's been rusting, and over 20 years you watch more and more pieces falling off the car, and at some point you're like, I gotta get a new yeah, car. Yeah, car at some point. <laughs> so then, after that, what was what was the most challenging thing about getting pure off the ground? Um, you know, there wasn't, so, I mean, cause if there was, if, I mean, if yeah, not, I don't think there was, right? no, right? Um, okay. yeah, you know, so again, at the time, you know, I thought of myself as an engineer, not an entrepreneur. And so I didn't immediately think, oh, I'm going to go form a startup to do this. Yeah. We're like, well, this is an obvious problem. There must be people looking to do it. And so I was figuring, okay, we'll go find a startup that's kind of doing it and, 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 you know, I can join them. Uh, and, and, and work on it for a bit and things like that. But um, we looked around and we found lots of startups trying to do things, and most of them were doing things that I didn't think would work. They were way underestimating the complexity of what they were trying to do. They were putting a lot of effort into the wrong things. Right? I was, you know, it was clear from the premise you didn't want to be looking at a hybrid. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing is the all-flash people out there were looking at ridiculously high prices. Yes. Right? And, you know, as a lot of people have heard me say, if you want to change the world, you don't put a Formula One car on the street. You put a Toyota mm -hmm. or maybe a Tata Nano uh, uh, car. You know, you want to put the cheapest car possible on the street so everybody buys it. Right? Henry Ford made a much bigger difference to the world of transportation than uh, – you know, Bentley. Yeah, yeah, Ferrari. Right? Ferrari, yeah. yeah. Take your pick. Um, as part of that, so I'm going to go back to the evolution part, right, where you were seeing, you know, there was the technological aspect of what the disk drives just couldn't do. Where did the, did the simplicity notion come in with that as well? Right, because that's a big hallmark, right? No, that was really do. just me. That just evolved um, out of, like, you just want to make it easier for people to do things that shouldn't be difficult. Something like that, yeah. yeah. They, I mean, Evergreen... And, um, you know, the sort of stateless controllers, which is really just a way of making, I think, the product and the HA simpler rather than, 
uh, you know, as much as re- replacing things. But, you know, that kind of stuff um, was really, as I've also sort of told people sometimes, the change in the storage industry was a chance to fix everything stupid that it was doing <laughs> for many, many years. I um, like so that everything quote. that annoyed me. <laughs> Um, and you know, think about it. You, you know, you sit there and you use a product all the time, and you're like, "Why is this like this? You know, wh- why why don't they give me this option or that option?" You know, I still listen to the radio in the car. Usually, I don't mm-hmm. want to listen to my own music because then I find I just listen to the exact same stuff and never try anything new. Um, so I still listen to the radio, and it's like, okay, uh, gee, I have these preset stations. Okay. Do I get a choice to scroll between the preset stations or to scroll from one station to the next, you know, as I'm doing things? And and for whatever reason, the cars all seem to like to offer um, only one of those choices, not both. There's no, a yeah. few that offer both. I feel like the older technology and, allowed us both, though, 20 years ago. You know, you could seek or you could, yeah, either way. No, 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 no presets, right, right, right. You could yeah. seek or you could... But no, on the, I'm talking about like on the steering wheel buttons oh, that those, you have now yes, all the time. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, and not an like, option. Right. It's right. just, it's if you're just gonna, seek. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're going to reach over and touch the radio, yeah, of course you can right. do something else, right? Yeah, yeah. And a voice command for something like that, I just don't get because that's a lot more laborious than I've got my hands on the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. I can hit this button that my thumb is right next to and my thumb isn't busy <laughs> doing something else at the moment um, rather than trying to say like uh, – I, I think – is BMW from the ads I've seen now using like this Hey BMW? It's like, Hey BMW, can you change oh, the yeah, radio yeah. station? Right. It's like, I'm sorry, I can hit the button with my thumb, right. yeah. which is right next to it which a lot is faster. Right on the steering wheel. And, and, you know, but it's like, you think about it, there's like products you use all the time that you're just like, why on earth is this like this? You know, one of my favorite ones to complain about is hotel bathrooms. Okay. And, and, you know, Maybe I'm a bit over-analytical about this, but if I were a dictator, one of the laws that I would pass is if you wanted to put a bathroom in a hotel, you know, if you were a designer, you had to have that exact same bathroom in your house for at least a year, okay? Because <laughs> So I'll give you an example. I'm so excited to see where this goes, by the way. I'll give you an example. I've stayed in a lot of hotel and, bathrooms, so. And, well, so again, you know, as many people know, I built a house, right? And I will tell you that, the last rooms you put into the house, the last rooms you think about are the bathrooms, right? Because you're busy when you're designing the house or the hotel or whatever. You're fitting in, oh, here's where the bedrooms are going to go, and here's where the kitchen goes, and here's where all the important rooms go. And then you're like, oh, wait, I got to have a bathroom or two. So, okay, you squeeze them in in the places where they fit. And, and it's funny because in a lot of ways, the bathrooms are the hardest rooms to design. Because they have, you know, it's like, okay, you need like a toilet and a sink and maybe, let's say, a shower or a tub. And you got to fit that in along with light switches and towel racks and and the door. And the room's small. And and everything's got to fit. And it's all got to fit. And, and yeah, you don't yeah. want... Yeah. It's like in our house, in the kids' bathrooms, the biggest design problem was like, oh, when you'd open the door, it would block the best place to put a towel rack. Now... Not a problem now that the kids are older and use the bathroom without any assistance. But when, you know, they were really young and it's like, okay, we're giving them a bath. It's like, you know, you want to leave the door open so if the other one's screaming, they you can kind of hear. But 
you wanted the towel rack right behind the door. So, I, I would actually like to get my son to use the towel rack. That's, okay, that's, a, whole not, that's a whole other issue. That. Right? So let me go to the hotel bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I, I want the hotel part. I'll, I'll is... give you a very specific example. So um, on one of my last trips uh, to Switzerland to visit customers, I stayed in a hotel um, uh, in Zurich right next to the train station there. It was a very nice hotel. Um, and I had a what I would generally say could have been like a really great hotel bathroom, except – the shower they had, you know, it was a nice sized, fully glass door enclosed shower, right? So it's nice and open. So it wasn't one of those good, half glass. It wasn't one of where the, the half water glass just goes everywhere. The water goes out, yeah, those are right? those are fully enclosed, right? But the they put a gasket on the door so that the door would only swing outward. Okay, so you can't, and the shower was big enough you could have easily opened the shower door inward. So now. The shower door is getting a lot of water dripping down on it. You can only open it outwards. So the water that's running down, it continues to run down onto the nice marble floor. <laughs> they put no transom on the shower, so the bottom of the gasket would sweep away any towel, any floor mat you mm -hmm. put there. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> the water had to drip onto the marble. And the only towel rack was, if you think about it, you'd open the door away from you, the towel rack was on the wall behind where the door went. It wasn't even like the outer door handle, like somewhere you could reach around. <laughs> yeah. So the only thing you could do was to open that shower door outwards, drip water all over the floor, sweep away whatever floor mat you put there, then step out onto the slick, wet floor to reach around the door to, to get to where the towel was. And if you had just put a gasket on the door that would let it swing in or out, Think about it. Now you can have a floor mat right outside. You can pull the door inward and just reach out right to, to the wall to get the towel. Not even have to step on the floor mat if you didn't want to. Uh, and then if you don't like the air escaping out of the shower, you could close the door again. But And they make those gaskets. For the price of like for $5 difference in a gasket, you could have fixed so many problems with this. And, like, uh, yeah. and and I have to believe that if the person who designed it lived with that in their house, they would have fixed the bloody gasket. I feel like we could do a whole pod around around bathroom. Now watch this segue, right? Watch this segue. What are the bathroom features that are annoying that you can translate to storage features over the years that you, you didn't like? And I'll ask in a different way. What are things that are not on storage arrays from Pure because you don't need them anymore. Um, what are not on storage rates? From, well, yeah. um, when we started the company, right, the first uh, flash arrays only supported fiber channel. Okay. And there used to be half a dozen different ways in which you could uh, zone storage from a host to an array. And we just did one way because... Um, you know, so so first of all, a lot of the arrays used to have like 128 ports. I'm like, why on earth do you need 128 ports? We'll get by with, you know, eight or 16 ports, um, which makes it a little simpler. Um, but then, like, you could take you could you could take a volume and you could say it's going to be LUN three on this port, LUN seven on this other port, LUN 22 on this other port, not even be exposed on this fourth port, and we just said. Forget it. It's going to be the same thing across all the ports. Don't worry about it. We're not going to give you the option mm -hmm. to, to change it. And by the way, all of our SEs at the time, we only had a small handful of them, 
at the time would keep like, well, you need to put in this way and this way. And I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> and, you know, sure enough, we never have. Right. People didn't really need a ton of options on that. Um, and so, you know, just by making things by starting out with things simpler. Mm hmm. Right. You really get a chance to let people think, do they really need it? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you imagine if I gave you a phone and the phone could do one thing, make phone calls. Now, you're going to then say, well, OK, wait a minute. No, I want to be able to do this, too. Right. But you're going to be focused on the one or two most important things that it doesn't do, not the 500 silly no. little things. Right. And um, and, and thus you. I think if you make sure you start with everything simple and minimalist, and, and minimalism is a big part of simplicity, mm -hmm. intuitiveness is the other part of it, right? So um, if you start with everything as minimal as possible and you do put in the thought onto how to make it as intuitive as possible, then you can grow from there, but you keep it simple. Is this part of the installation, right? So it's kind of well, it's the installation, but no, it's to everything. Have a very simple and well, part of it, right, is the is the very simplicity or the simple nature of of installation to where you said it needs to be so easy to do that it can fit on a business card and that a five year old could do it or something like something of that nature. Yeah, well, right? that's that's part right? of the thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. part of it is making it obvious, and and experts are not good at that, mm -hmm. right? So that's one thing where we were helped by not having necessarily a ton of storage experts mm -hmm. in the company at the beginning. Um, and, you know, there are things like to simplify the language. Um, you know, a lot of times we fall into jargon and acronyms, sure. right? It's because you do it. Simplify the language. I actually um, took all of our early repair guides home and made my kids read them and asked them to circle every word they didn't understand. Hmm. And so if you think about it, I, I, I then had a way to know every word in one of our repair guides that was not a word that a five-year-old or a mm -hmm. seven-year-old mm -hmm. would know. How many were there? Uh, there were a few of them, but and there, there were some things like, and we had, I, I, I vividly remember we had this one instruction written, plug the ethernet cable into the port next to the bulkhead. Now, my children did not know what an ethernet cable was. They also didn't know what a bulkhead I was. I say, what is bulkhead, right? And so we changed it. Plug the Ethernet cable into the port on the right. They knew what their right was, right? Right. I couldn't change the noun of the Ethernet cable, but I could change... Yeah, the noun is what it is. The, 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 right, right, right. But the location, that's intuitive. And, yeah. and, and well, no, that, that, that's sort of making it or obvious. Or is that more obvious? That's yeah. more obvious. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. intuitive um, comes from things like finding a model that everybody's used to and applying that. So an example I always use of that, when we uh, need to connect two arrays for replication, um, you know, a lot of competitors have some very complicated mm -hmm. ways in order to set things up. Um, and we tried to model the process off of the, connecting your phone via Bluetooth to a car, right? Now think, how many times have you rented a car and you get in the car and you connect up the phone. In most cars, it's easy to do. In most cars, there it's easy to do. There are it's not. Right? Uh, there, but... there was actually one I rented this summer that it was so amazingly bad that my son, who's now 13, was just 
flabbergasted at how incredibly awful the process yes. was. I mean, it was beyond anything. I mean, even I looked it up on the internet how to do it on my phone. <laughs> And it still took me a day and a half to get it right. And were there a bunch of complicated words in the instruction manual to do that <laughs> that they uh, should have circled? <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't even that. It was just, I mean, it was just unbelievable the logic or the illogic in this procedure. Uh, unnecessarily complex. Uh, unnecessarily complicated. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the, the point is taking the real experience that you do, right? And it's the same thing. Um, when you're doing something like, you know, you're used to shopping online. When you go to a new site, you don't need a whole ton of instructions. You kind of, you know, understand the basics because everything kind of works. Well, I click on this and I click on that. At some point, I'll have a checkout or a card or whatever. Yeah. And you, you click on it and then you go there and you know there what I mean? There should be it's, some kind of button. And, it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty it. yeah. obvious how right. you interface with it. Um, so doing things like having commands that are regular, hmm. having them kind of complete, not having these strange thing extra things you know even a simple one if you want to write scripts around something right using an api is great but if you're not going to use an api if you're going to use more of a scripting language like a perl mm -hmm. or or anything like that having commands that depending on what they're showing you have different um numbers of like uh, columns of different information they output is problematic right so think about it if i if i ran a command to list the attributes of a volume and it lists the size but if the volume has a snapshot it lists an extra column maybe even worse an extra column in the middle and if the volume doesn't have a snapshot it doesn't list it hmm. it's like that's really bad because now all of a sudden my scripting you know has to go do this right imagine the 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 corollary would be imagine i have an api and you know if i want to get statistics about the volume, let's say. Well, if the volume has a snapshot, I have to do two calls. But if the volume doesn't have a snapshot, I only have to do one. Mm -hmm. It like makes writing that program, you know, unnecessarily complicated in, in a very bad way that people are likely to forget when they might have to do this second thing and create a bug, right? Um, you know, having things where you state uh, the intent so you don't get it wrong mm -hmm. is, is another example. Uh, we, um, we had a problem early on. There were, we had someone in support, and they were working on two cases at the same time. And you know, so they have a few windows open, and they inadvertently went to the wrong window and typed a command to basically stop that controller. Mm -hmm. They stopped the primary controller of an array, uh, that uh, didn't happen to have a secondary controller running at the time, so they, in effect, shut down the There's... customer's array. Yep. Um, and so as a result of that, what we did is we said, okay, we should go and change every single support procedure to make sure you're never trying to shut down the primary array. Mm -hmm. And I proposed that we change the command for stopping a controller to be basically shut down secondary or shut down primary, I know I'm doing something really stupid. And we didn't, I don't think we did the second, uh, that, that, that second one quite that way. You didn't have that, that extra way. part in there, yeah. But, but the point is, so now if I go to the wrong place and type it, like if I go to the primary and type it, shut down secondary doesn't work because it, I'm stating in the command, yeah. well, here's the 
here's the state I expect. And so if you're not in that state, fail. You got a safeguard. Right? Yeah. And so there's there's a whole set of things you do around making things, trying to make things obvious, intuitive, trying to get what's in the person or the program who's interacting with its mind into the operation that all helps make things simpler and easier to use. Did you see this from the first early users, right? I'm sure you had first early user customers, trials, POCs, where they we were always figured starting... some of these things out, or did they did they go, wait, wait, how is this? No, we were it's always starting with this. the simplicity. Okay, and, all right. And part of that, too, is as a startup, you can't put in all these stupid features that they don't have. I mean, yeah. EMC's had 30 years to put features into their array, okay? When I want to do all those features, and as I've said many times, half of them are completely irrelevant in today's world, right? It's kind of like if I'm doing, you know, why, why, why do I need to do things if everybody's got a smartphone that's aimed at flip phones, yes. right? It's, um, you know, well, it's sort of a lot easier. And so, yeah. so, so the thing is, we started with the simplicity, and then we've always been aggressive about trying to learn from our own interactions and from interactions with customers where we could make it simpler where we made mistakes where you know like not having a shutdown secondary command instead mm-hmm. of having a shutdown or gee I want to reinitialize I want to initialize an array was the same command used to secure erase a drive for bringing it back how long do you think it was before somebody accidentally typed the command and reinitialized a whole shelf rather than the one drive yeah right and you learn those things and you fix them and by being aggressive about learning them and fixing them, you maintain the simplicity and you make it simpler. And it's a constant battle. Every new feature we add, we have to think a lot extra about how to fit it in easily, how to fit in a model um, that, that makes sense to people. right? And that's the biggest thing. When you approach technology or you approach you know, your car or whatever, you, you want it to make sense, mm-hmm. right? So... You turn your steering wheel to the right and the car goes right, right? You turn the steering wheel to the left and the car goes left. Have you ever tried to drive one where you turn the steering wheel to the right and the car goes left? You know, because they do that well, it's sometimes. Like the, or it's like the bicycle the bicycle that they make where you steer and it yeah, goes the it's other the direction. Bicycle you your make brain, the, you right. cannot conceive that you're turning and it's going the other direction. Okay, it just well, doesn't I, work, right? I cannot tell you how many things in high-tech products are like that mm-hmm. bicycle. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's the only reason for it is because people were lazy. Yeah. All right, listeners. And that is the end of part one. Cause and I went for quite a long time, a little bit over an hour. So we are going to break this up into a two parter. Hope you enjoyed part one. Stay tuned and come back to purestorage.com slash pure report or keep an eye on your RSS feed for when we publish part two and hope you enjoy that one as well. Thanks for listening.